Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode number 213 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And we're back this week after a wild conference championship weekend. It's rare we ever talk about an Alabama win as surprising, and maybe the Tides win over Georgia shouldn't be viewed that way, but the manner in which they beat the Bulldogs was a definite surprise. We'll have more on that later in the show as we will on all the other games we covered on last week's episode. But with conference titles now in the rear view, we have a full bowl schedule and a solidified college football playoff with the aforementioned Alabama and Georgia, in addition to Michigan and Cincinnati, who each took care of business on Saturday. Alabama will play Cincinnati, while Georgia and Michigan face off, both on New Year's Eve. And we've finally made it to the postseason outside of the traditional Army-Navy battle this weekend, of course. Yeah, and I think uh, I was one of the people who were surprised at not only the way they won, but uh, uh, Alabama just won outright. Because I said on this show a week ago, I thought that Georgia would be out for blood for all the past, you know, late fourth quarter uh, collapses that they've had in the SEC title game a few years ago and the national championship game right before that. So to me, that was the biggest shocker, although there was some interesting prospect play uh, between uh, many of the uh, m- many of the combatants in the conference title games. We will get to all of that on this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. We're back and better than ever with a new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and the rest of the football season, along with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. Georgia, no longer the odds-on favorite to win the college football national title. Alabama is the new favorite, although not with the minus odds that Georgia did have. And Alabama's barely above Georgia overall with Michigan lagging behind in third, and Cincinnati even further down the list. Be interesting to see. I mean, can Georgia get it back together? Is Cincinnati for real? We'll find out in a couple of weeks. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season, because Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Now we'll start today's show taking a look at the Conference USA Championship game where UTSA outlasted Western Kentucky 49-41, almost blew a 42-13 lead. Bailey Zappi, quarterback for the Hilltoppers, led the comeback, 577 yards, four touchdowns. He's now just 263 yards and four touchdowns, shy of the FBS single-season passing records now has a shot to hit those in the Boca Raton Bowl against Appalachian State. But staying on this game, where the Hilltoppers really didn't get going until the third quarter, ran off four straight touchdown drives into the fourth, but fell just short 
And when it comes to Zap, you can really see the touch and anticipation that he plays with. But as we discussed last week, lacks a big arm, not the greatest athlete, definitely a guy who could find himself drafted later on day three, but certainly has limitations in terms of his projection for the next level. D'Angelo Malone, guy who doesn't have quite as many limitations when it comes to the next level, nine tackles, two for a loss, but not his most overall impactful game. Didn't have much success when he was lined up against Spencer Burford. And really, the UTSA offense did whatever it wanted for two and a half quarters in this game, 304 rushing yards for the Roadrunners. Maybe if this game was longer, WKU could have pulled it out, but the hole was too big and time just was not on their side. Yeah, I mean, at first it looked like UTSA was going to run away with the game, and then uh, Western Kentucky comes back and makes a game of it. You know, a couple things. Bailey Zapp is a terrific college quarterback. I just don't think he uh, he projects well to the next level. I mean, he doesn't have an arm. We saw that last play when he heaved it to the end zone. It hung up. It fell short of the end zone. He's not a true RPO quarterback, so it's not a situation where he can rely on his legs to bail out his arm. Um, I, would, I just was not very uh, very impressed with him. I was impressed with uh, his top receiver, Jareth Stearns, who I think has an NFL future. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Bailey Zapp when he goes to the senior ball. It's, I, I believe it's going to be one of those situations where we come away saying, real good college quarterback, just not an NFL prospect. Uh, Stearns, obviously, he's played well all season. He came up big in that game. D'Angelo Malone, listen, we've talked about him before. He is a tough, resilient, feisty guy. Uh, Very athletic, very explosive. But again, he's not going to come out of a three-point stance uh, in the NFL as he did during that game, as he did for most of the season. He's going to be a linebacker either in a 3-4 or potentially a 4-3, but he has the athleticism. He has the movement skills. I mean, you can see it's all there. I was relatively impressed with Spencer Burford, but as I tweeted out during the game, like D'Angelo Malone, he has a next-level future, but it's not going to be a left tackle. It's probably going to be as a zone-blocking guard. Early on in the game, he got out the second level 10 yards down the field and threw a seal block. Uh, or seal the linebacker from the action, which sprung uh, UTSA for a long touchdown run. So he played well. D'Angelo Malone played well. Stearns, the receiver, played well. Bailey Zapp played well. I just just don't think he's got a future in the NFL. Now in our next game, Baylor took down the Big 12 title, 21-16 win over Oklahoma State. The Bears were up 21-3 midway through the second quarter. Another situation where the losing opponent just didn't quite have the time they needed to make a comeback. Tyquan Thornton, receiver for Baylor, just did Tyquan Thornton things like he did last time we talked about him. Six catches, 71 yards, one touchdown. The TD was a great contested grab. He showed off his catch radius, ability to adjust off his body on some other catches. Xavier Newman-Johnson, good game and protection up front. Did a nice job working up to the second level as well. Defensively for Baylor, Terrell Bernard led the way with 10 tackles. Jalen Petrie, seven stops, two for lost. Also made some really nice plays in coverage. I thought it was a very nice game for the versatile Petrie, who will be at the senior bowl. Fellow safety JT Woods, a couple big hits, some stops up the field. He had an interception as well with a big return. So Petrie and Woods, I mean, I would say they were a big part of the struggles of Spencer Sanders in this game. I mean, four interceptions, no touchdowns, um, you know, kind of a meltdown from Spencer Sanders. And still he was in position at the end to potentially lead his team to a victory. Couldn't make it happen. But Tay Martin, Still ended up with nine catches, 88 yards, mostly on short passes. Um, you know, Malcolm Rodriguez for Oklahoma State you know, did 
you know, kind of like Taquan Thornton did Taquan Thornton things. Well, Malcolm Rodriguez did the same thing, does what he does every week, 12 tackles, one and a half for loss, always around the ball, making plays around the line of scrimmage in pursuit. You know, again, a guy who may not be big enough to do what he does uh, in college at the NFL level, but, you know, just a very, very good football player. And, and in the end, this is another game. It came down to the final drive in the fourth quarter. There were two goal line stands that Baylor had that allowed them to take away the victory from this game. And that was really the difference in this one. Well, I think the big difference was early in the game, the Baylor defense shut down Tay Martin. He did most of his uh, damage late in the game when Oklahoma State had to make their comeback. You know, as you say, Tyquan Thornton had a good game. Drew Estrada, a transfer from Dartmouth, who's been on the scouting radar for a couple of years now, six receptions in the game, only 33 yards, but he did have a touchdown. You mentioned Rodriguez. You mentioned Bernard. Uh, Petrie, you know, Petrie's sort of like uh, the Baylor version of, of Malcolm Rodriguez, a guy who plays a linebacker type position, but projects to safety in the NFL. Uh, and you're right about Spencer Sanders. I mean, Spencer Sanders meltdown has really been, I believe the past two years because off of the 2019 film, I mean, he was a guy that I said, wow, he's got big time ability for the next level. And at one time I graded him as a fourth round prospect. It's been all downhill uh, for him since. Uh, I, I mean, it, Really, this was a game that you figured Oklahoma State should have won. This was a game that could have put them over the edge, over the top. I mean, they've lost uh, to Oklahoma how many years now for that Big 12 title? Here is their big chance staring right in front of them. Spencer Sanders responds with four interceptions. So to me, that was really uh, one of the bigger stories uh, of this game is the continued downfall of of Spencer Sanders. And you got to wonder going into 2022, you know, does Sanders stay with Oklahoma State? Does he enter the transfer portal? Uh, you know, does, does Oklahoma State have a better answer at the quarterback position? Now, moving on to the MAC, our second noon start on Saturday, far less competitive than the other noon game in the Big 12. 41 23, Northern Illinois came out on top of Kent State, but this game was 38 10 with under five minutes to play. And really, a blowout script like this, not optimal for the way that flashes quarterback Dustin Crum wants to play the game. His numbers, very poor in this game, 11 for 21, 128 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. One of those interceptions returned for a touchdown. I mean, whenever Crum looked downfield, the ball was either woefully inaccurate, like five to seven yards away from his intended target, or it just didn't get there. It was about, you know, five to seven yards short of the target. His touchdown came on a short pass, which was all yards after the catch. I mean, as we discussed last week, just doesn't have – the arm to make plays downfield into the sidelines. And, you know, there are some people that do like Crum for the next level in this game. I mean, he looked like just completely undraftable and not even a guy who, you know, you would want to look towards as a priority free agent. Uh, you and I fullback Clint Rakovich scored a touchdown on an end around almost had a second touchdown on a couple goal line carries later in the game as well, but only nine touches in this one third on the team, but can't complain. Cause overall, I mean, the Huskies, they ran for 266 yards in this one behind that offensive line and left tackle Marquez Cox, who obviously was an important piece of that success. Yeah, he blocked well on the move, really manhandles opponents at times in line, but he does need some technical refinement. He's a bit leaning. He finds himself off balance at times, but definitely a guy that's intriguing for the 2023 draft, assuming he doesn't declare this winter. Tony, any takeaways for you from this one? Yeah, I mean, good for Thomas Hammock, the coach of Northern Illinois, really rebounding off of a poor 2020 season. This game really wasn't competitive. Uh, 24-3 to in favor of Northern Illinois. 
late into the third quarter. Yeah, Kent State made, you know, tried to make a comeback. But, you know, what you said about Dustin Crumman, I've said that all along about him. I, I mean, it's his downfield passing. I, I watched the Kent State film in depth, and he will flash the ability to really drop passes in downfield uh, to receivers. But those are few and far between. Really, the guy who on Kent State that really impresses me is the receiver, Dante Cephas, had seven receptions for 102 yards. He's a good short area target who can pick up yardage after the catch. He's also a solid uh, downfield threat. Rocky Lombardi, the Michigan State transfer, who's done a good job leading Northern Illinois this year, very efficient. I mean, he's a game manager, but that's all you're going to get out of uh, Rocky Lombardi. And after all those players, I mean, there's really nothing in the tank as far as NFL prospects are concerned. And moving on to the 3 p.m. kickoff in the Mountain West between Utah State and San Diego State. Another blowout, 46-13 in favor of the Aggies. Handed the number 19 Aztecs their second loss of the season. Left tackle Zach Thomas and the SDSU O-line struggled in this one. Allowed five sacks, under four yards per carry. Running back Greg Bell did show a nice burst on several carries, but also lost a fumble. Did nothing as a receiver, something we briefly mentioned on last week's show. And on top of all that, SDSU did play this game without its top three tight ends, including Daniel Bellinger and a couple wide receivers due to COVID protocols. Certainly played a part in some of their struggles, but really the matchup we wanted to see in this game was on the other side of the ball. Utah State left tackle Alfred Edwards against San Diego State defensive end Cameron Thomas. Thomas had a couple pressures in this one. When he was facing Edwards, though, pretty much neutralized, didn't really you know, have many opportunities to make plays when he was up against Edwards. Uh, I mean, Edwards did a nice job using his powerful blocking ability to anchor against Thomas, rode him past the pocket when he maybe would lose a step off the edge. But against the other offensive lineman, Thomas did show some nice hand moves, got to the quarterback with a nice swim, but it would have been nice to see him fare a bit better against Edwards, considering some of the draft type around him. Yeah, I, I think Edwards uses his size as an advantage. He's going to have to move in to guard at the next level, but he's a big guy who does a good job blocking down or, or smothering opponents, and that's what he did. I, I was very impressed with a guy that we talked about, Justin Rice, the linebacker. Started at Fresno State, had a real good, nice career there, then transferred to Arkansas State, uh, took advantage of the sixth year that uh, or the extra year of eligibility that the NC2A handed players Transferred to Utah State, the new uh, Mountain West champions. Ten tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss. Shaq Bond, I thought, also played relatively well. Uh, obviously, I think those guys that uh, uh, that that were sidelined because of COVID protocols uh, hurt uh, San Diego State. Even their punter, Matt Areza, who is the, the best punter in the nation, he also had, you know, a very average day, average 49 yards on three punts. 49 yards is good for most punters. For a razor, it's kind of disappointing with a long of 57 yards. This is a guy that's really kicked the stuffing out of the ball all season long. Four more games to break down on the show tonight. But first, a word from our new friends over at Lightbox. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but just are grown in a lab 
And because of their process, they can create stones in blush pink and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That is lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds, never a dull moment. Now, the big game Saturday, one we already touched on briefly in the open, another late afternoon start, a 4 p.m. kick for the SEC title between Georgia and Alabama. Not the result that many, including us, expected to see a 41-24 win for Alabama. And that's after Georgia got out to an early 10-0 lead, 41-14 tied. After that, really just a dominant performance beyond the first quarter. I mean, we talked a lot about the Georgia front seven, zero sacks in this game. They did pressure Price Young quite a few times, but Young managed it well, found his game-breaking receivers, Jameson Williams and John Mechie the third, 13 times for 281 yards and three touchdowns. Obviously, Mechie is now injured out for the playoffs and certainly longer with the torn ACL, a huge loss for that offense. One less weapon, more attention on Jamison Williams. But really, the guys who deserve a lot of credit in this game are Evan Neal and the Alabama offensive line. They kept that vaunted Georgia front seven at bay enough to score 41 points against a team that hadn't even allowed twice that, just 80 points in its first 12 games of the season. And really, we also have to talk about the struggles of cornerback Darion Kendrick and the Georgia secondary. Multiple penalties on Kendrick in this one. Couldn't stay with either Williams or Mechie on numerous occasions. And really, what happens when Georgia gives up points? The offense does not have the talent to keep up once the team follow behind. I mean, George Pickens not yet 100% in this one. I mean, really, their only viable weapon on offense was freshman tight end Brock Bowers. I mean, 10 catches, 139 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, he's not a draft dual player, but certainly we'll be discussing him over the next couple of seasons. But really, it's kind of crazy to think that a 12-0 team with such a dominant defense, you know, and they say defense doesn't take weeks off. Well, you know, maybe they took this week off. Maybe Alabama's offense is just that talented. But this team felt so far behind at times in this game. Once they got down, I mean, you really just didn't get the feeling that they'd be able to sustain any semblance of a comeback. And that's because of the quarterback. I mean, we saw contrasting styles of quarterbacks. You saw Bryce Young, who's not draft eligible, who really is going to be, I believe, a franchise quarterback or looked every bit of the franchise quarterback. I mean, he's got the physical skills of Tua Tagliavoa with the mental aptitude of Mac Jones. He's a great combination of that. Not only has all the ability to make all the throws, but he's got the head to know which throws not to make. Going up against Stetson Bennett, I mean, who is nothing more than a game manager. And when Georgia needed Bennett to basically carry the offense on his shoulders, he fell flat. I mean, he was terrible. And you got to wonder why they just didn't stick JT Daniels onto the field uh, late in that game, have any semblance of a comeback, because you could tell that Stetson Bennett wasn't going to do the job. I thought that Evan Neal played a phenomenal game, uh, really, really stood out. A guy who's going to be the first offensive lineman selected, uh, someone who's made the seamless transition from right tackle to left tackle. He did struggle against Auburn uh, the prior week, but he rebounded really well against uh, Georgia. Granted, Georgia's playing without Adam Anderson. Anyone who's uh, familiar with that story knows why. Uh, You know, you you mentioned the struggles of Kendrick. 
and that's been the situation with Darian Kendrick. You know, at, at sometimes sometimes he looks like a world beater, other times he looks like an egg beater. And he looked like an egg beater against Alabama, both physically and mentally. But that's what you get with Darian Kendrick. That's why he's no longer with the Clemson program. I mean, this was a thorough thrashing uh, by Alabama. These teams, I would assume, will meet again. But now, you know, there is doubt in in George's mind. And uh, again, it was interesting that he just never went to JT Daniels because you could tell that Stetson Bennett was not going to be able to, to bring that team back. Now, Cincinnati and Houston played for the AAC championship at the same time as the SEC title game. And this one was a game. It was 14-13 at half. But then the first seven and a half minutes of the third quarter happened. Three Cincinnati touchdowns, one from wide receiver Alec Pierce on a back shoulder catch. We talked about him and his matchup against Houston corners Marcus Jones and Demarion Williams last week. And really his size advantage on full display on that touchdown. Although, to his credit, Jones did have an excellent pass breakup against Pierce earlier in the end zone. Pretty much just ripped the ball right out of Pierce's hands to force the incompletion. I mean, Pierce himself had just two catches. Both of them should have been touchdowns, though. The first one goes down in the stat sheet as a 44-yard catch, but he was wide open downfield. Nobody within 15 yards of him. Desmond Ritter just didn't hit him in stride. Pierce had to adjust. He stumbled. He fell to the ground. I mean, otherwise, you know, that's he's just running right into the end zone if that ball is even reasonably in stride. Just 17 pass attempts for Ritter in this one. Did have 190 yards and three touchdowns. But, I mean, really that should have been touchdown is kind of a microcosm of the main wart in Ritter's game that we've talked about a lot with him. It's just accuracy and pass placement. And really, the matchup with Alabama on New Year's Eve is going to be big for him heading to the draft. Tony, I know you like Josh Wiley. He had three catches for 35 yards, did some nice work after the catch. Houston defensive tackle Logan Hall is the guy we were watching. Played well, four tackles, one sack. And that sack came deep in Cincinnati territory. And Hall just fought and fought to shed blocks and get to Desmond Ritter to take him down near the end zone. I mean, the combination that he has of length, athletic ability, and motor, highly, highly intriguing for the next level. Since he's defense, too, really locked down in the second half. Darian Beavers had a few big hits, nine total tackles, much hyped secondary for the Bearcats. Struggled a bit to slow down Tank Dell, who had nine catches, 152 yards and a touchdown, but only one other Cougar caught more than one pass in this game. What were your big takeaways, Tony? Well, the big takeaway is Cincinnati's a lot like Georgia in the sense that they rely on their defense to win games. And I think, you know, like Georgia with Stenson Bennett, Desmond Ritter could be the downfall in Cincinnati not advancing. I mean, he's a very athletic guy with a big arm, but as we said time and time again, and as you illustrated in this game, yeah, he had three touchdown passes, but he also had a lot of wayward throws, and they go all over the place. It was Jerome Ford, who I'm told is going to uh, enter the draft. Jerome Ford, ironically, an Alabama transfer, who carried that offense, 187 yards on 18 carries with two TDs. He's a big, grinding interior ball carrier, with surprising speed. I mean, you give him a little bit of space and, and that guy takes off. Um, I, I thought that uh, Marcus Jones and Demarion Williams played relatively well. Uh, I, I mean, it was, it took a while for Cincinnati to get off the snide, but when they did, you know, they proved that they were hands down the better team. You know, before when we we're talking about Alabama, you mentioned John Mechie. Well, Desmond Ritter is not going to have to worry about Josh Job, the Alabama cornerback, either, because he was lost in that SEC title game and he's out for the college football playoffs. Uh, so that's one less guy that Desmond Ritter is going to have to worry about. 
in that first semifinal game. Our final two reviews on the show today, the nightcaps starting with Michigan's 42-3 romp over Iowa to win the Big Ten title, and they secured the number two seed in the college football playoff. Not a ton to really discuss from this one, though. Tight end Sam Laporta for Iowa, six catches, 62 yards, did a nice job getting open, caught the ball well, continued to really be the, you know, the main way that Iowa was able to move the ball on offense. I mean, they really just couldn't get anything going against that Michigan defense, led, of course, by Aiden Hutchinson, just four tackles and one sack on the stat sheet. But when you watch the game, you rarely see him caught up on blocks. He is always making an impact. He is getting pressure. He had a couple in this game in addition to the sack. And even when he's quiet, he stands out week in and week out. Really not going to go too deep on this one. It was really never a competitive football game. But, Tony, have at it. Well, I'm going to say this. You know, you took me to test last week about saying that Tyler Lindebaum was overrated. And I watched that game, and I'm going to say it again. Tyler Lindebaum is overrated because he was getting handled all game. I, I mean, we talked about him going up against Christopher Hinton, a junior. I shouldn't say junior. His dad was the great uh, tackle in the NFL. And Hinton handled Lindebaum. I mean, Lindebaum was getting pushed around. Lindebaum showed some flashes. He's very good in motion, but really on the line of scrimmage, his best blocks were consistently when he was being helped, when he was getting, when he was double teaming with guards on either side. So my big takeaway from this game, besides the fact that Michigan is probably playing as well as any team in the nation right now, except for maybe Utah, who's not in the college football playoffs, is that. Tyler Lindebaum, all these Jet fans who are talking about taking him in the top 10, I think they're out of their minds. I, I mean, and I focused on Lindebaum almost every snap that uh, Iowa had the ball offensively just to say, hey, maybe I'm way off base. But again, he's getting ragged out. He doesn't get much movement run blocking. He needs a lot of help on the inside. Yeah, he shows flashes, but uh, he's not as good at this point in his career as Nick Mangold was when the Jets drafted him at the end of the first round. And I'm hearing people talk about Linda Baum as a generational talent, as a top 10 pick. You know, I didn't see it coming into the year. I sure as hell didn't see it against Michigan. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. I mean, I, I also wouldn't say I took you to task. I knew you didn't yeah. weren't as high on, on Linda Baum. So I, I, I kind of set you up for that one. But I mean, yeah, watching him in this game, he, he does not pop like you would expect a player at the center position, which is not a premium position. I mean, if you want to take a guy like that in the top 10, you want him to really pop. You want him, I mean, Quentin Nelson is a guard, but a couple of years ago, I mean, Quentin Nelson was a unanimous top 10 pushing for the top five type of pick because he's just that good. You watch him and you're just like, wow, this guy is awesome. You don't see that with Tyler Linderbaum. I mean, yeah, when he gets out in motion, like you said, when he gets to the second level, he can do some things, but you want to see a guy if he's going to be that highly regarded. And, and listen, I understand that this year's draft class is not last year's draft class or really your typical class where you're, you know, in terms of the top 10 players, quarterback, other positions, you got some guys at the top, but the top 10 overall, probably a little weaker than most years, even still to, to have Tyler Linderbaum there. I mean, he just doesn't really pop. Like he looks like he's a solid player, but he doesn't look like that guy who's, you know, a transcendent offensive lineman on the interior that you would spend a top 10 pick on. And I mean, you mentioned Jet fans. It's not just Jet fans. Giant fans are all over this guy too. Um, you know, the two New York teams who need help on the offensive line and have multiple first round picks. They're like, you know what? We can, you know, take this luxury pick of a non-premium position, but you want it to be a premium player. You want your top 10 center to be Quentin Nelson, 
a guy who's an all pro, a guy who's going to be a pro bowler every single year in his career. And I, I don't see that with Tyler Linderbaum. So I'm with you on this one. I'm, I'm in lockstep and it's really interesting to see all the love that he gets because yes, the traits are there, um, you know, to be a top rated center, but uh, you know, eventually if you're going to be worth that pick in a non-premium position, you, the play has to really stand out. And if you're not specifically watching him, he doesn't stand out. If you watched Notre Dame a couple of years ago and you weren't specifically watching Quentin Nelson, he stood out. You saw him and you're just like, wow, who's this guy that, you know, I, my eyes can't stop watching him. You don't see that with Tyler Linderbaum. And, and I really think that's what you need to see to justify the hype he's getting. You know, it, Monday night, I was actually dry. I was uh, with my sister we were, and her, my brother-in-law. We were driving to New York City because I went to see Genesis rock band Genesis at Madison Square Garden. And I got a call from famed New York uh, football writer, Steve Serby, uh, because Steve and I have a good relationship. Whenever he needs draft information for years now, he calls me and picks my brain. And he wrote an article on the Jets at the top of the draft, which way to go. And we talked about pass rushes. We talked about cornerbacks. He asked me offensive linemen. And I said, you know, Steve, I said, everyone talks about Linda Mom. I said, no way. I said, if the Jets are going to draft an offensive lineman, with one of those two first round picks in the early port. I said, I'm taking Evan Neal. I'm taking Evan Neal over Linderbaum in a heartbeat. Uh, plays more, more of a premium position at, at offensive tackle. You don't know what's going to happen with Mekki Beckton or Mekhi Beckton, I'm sorry, whichever way it's pronounced. And the fact is, Evan Neal is just head and shoulders above Ty, uh, Tyler Linderbaum. That, that's the way it is. Doesn't mean that Linderbaum may not be a good pro, but he's just not, the reputation does not meet the reality. And as I said, I'll say it again. Nick Mangold, when the Jets drafted him at the bottom of round one all those years ago, is much more advanced in his game and much more dominant in his game than Linda Baum is right now. Now, a slightly more competitive game. It's going to wrap up today's show. Pitt beat Wake Forest 45-21, but this game was 24-21 late in the third quarter. It got really away from Wake in the fourth because Sam Hartman just could not stop throwing the ball to Pitt. Four interceptions on the day. Also took five sacks. Most of all of that came after the 21-point first quarter. They scored zero points the final three quarters of this game. Hartman in that first quarter, though, threw for two touchdowns, rushed for a third. But really, the pressure just got to him after that. And you know, as we've often talked about, the issue with a guy like Hartman, who is a smaller quarterback, it's harder to stand in the pocket, withstand the rush, and throw over defenders. I mean, Hartman's a guy, he's athletic enough to break the pocket, to get outside and create throwing lanes for himself. He can make plays that way. But Pitt's front seven, just relentless. Didn't give him anywhere to go in this one. The secondary, after the start of the game, really locked down his main targets. So he's looking around, he sees no one open, and then he's sacked. He had no chance. Uh, ended up 21 for 46, 213 yards. Not a game that he's going to want to put on his NFL reel, although certainly it'll be there for NFL scouts when they're watching the tape and it's just going to accentuate the concerns that he's going to face whenever that he decides the NFL is where his future lies. Kenny Pickett, on the other hand, 20 of 33, 253 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, not an unbelievable game, but while Hartman was running for his life, Pickett looked like he was in complete control, standing tall in the pocket, completing short and intermediate passes with zip. I mean, the arm may not be massive in terms of making plays downfield, but he can get the ball there on a line on those short and intermediate balls. Pickett also ran for a touchdown. And I mean, this, this is the play that really everyone wants to talk about where he fakes the slide, the defense lets up, and then he takes it to the house 
I mean, we record the show to talk about NFL prospects, not really this kind of stuff, but Tony, I really have to get your opinion on this because, and obviously your opinion on the performance of each quarterback, um, because I, I think the slide is kind of ruined now. I mean, how can you flag a defender if they don't let up when a QB even starts a slide, unless you want to go ahead and penalize quarterbacks for fake sliding? I mean, credit to Pickett for making it happen and scoring a touchdown out of it in this instance. But I mean, we might be at the point where we have to treat quarterbacks like actual runners now, once they get downfield, if you know stunts like that are actually going to be allowed. You know, there's no consistency in the rule, which I think is a problem. I also have a problem where, you know, they'll throw a flag on a defender because he lowers his head into the ball carrier. Yet time and time again, you see ball carriers or tight ends finish runs and finish plays by lowering their head into defenders. So there's just no consistency in it. But getting back to the game, I think what happened with, well, I know what happened was going into the game, Wake Forest had a very thin margin of error. They do not have the talent that Pittsburgh has. And Pittsburgh doesn't have great talent. It's just that Wake Forest, you know, has has less talent. And, and I think part of the problem was Ja'Cory Robertson, who was one of his big play threats, you know, had a lot of catches, but not a lot of yards. And, you know, the clock just struck 12 on Cinderella. Cinderella, this, in this case, being Wake Forest, you know, midway through that uh, third quarter. And it all went downhill after it looked, at least early on, that Wake Forest had a real good chance. Just don't think they had the horses to finish it. Uh, and that's why you saw it all end in ruin form. And that's it for the 213th episode of the Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back next week with bowl games starting up in the near future here. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.